few offices hold more mystery than judgeships. Most of the cases, excuse me, most of the, well, should we call them cases? In most cases, most of the elections, most of the candidates for the judiciary are unopposed. They're usually an incumbent. Usually someone even who was appointed off in midterm. That's what happened the last time we did a set of interviews. The governor had appointed somebody, and they were running for re-election. So even though, yeah, there was an election, and they did have an opponent, we interviewed both of them, yeah, it was still a re-election. It was still an incumbent. It's kind of hard to oust. You know, is it easy to sort of oust a judge? So usually, I don't know, usually there are not open seats. And then when there are open seats, there aren't traditional campaigns. There are campaigns, to be clear. But judges aren't allowed to call around and ask for money. They can have their friends do it for them. They can convene a campaign committee who can go out. But it's a little different. Anybody out there who's raised money before? Having your friends do it for you, it's a little bit different. Why don't we get straight to Ernest Warren Jr.? Candidate, Multnomah County Circuit Judge. Judge Warren is what you want to be called. Ernest, how you doing? I'm doing good. I, I'm fine with being called Ernest, too. All right. Well, I'm a human being first. All right, we'll go with Ernest. Who's your favorite Supreme Court justice ever? And you're allowed to say Justice Warren, you share a name, but it's not expected. You know it's going to be Thurgood Marshall, a man that fought for civil rights his entire life and finally uh, broke the, the color barrier and joined the Supreme Court. And what a wonderful jurist he was when he got there, trying to do what was right. So tell us about you. As I asked just about every candidate, who are you and why are you running? Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm uh, born and raised here in Portland, Oregon. I went to the Sandra Day O'Connor School of Law, Arizona State University, um, and I've been practicing over 31 years. I've been practicing people law. I've been representing people in personal injury cases, criminal defense, civil rights, and I also do affordable housing, um, and that's a story in itself. The reason I'm running is because I want to bring all of my years of experience, primarily in Monoma County, to the to the courthouse. Um, uh, I think that that type of experience, um, my community service, um, is the kind of thing that a judge needs uh, to be fair, and that's what it's really all about: is being fair, being just. And I want to do that. What's at stake in this election? Well, what's at stake in this election is that you have an opportunity to have someone that has a lot of experience on the bench. Uh, many times, as you said in your introduction, uh, the governor will appoint someone. They may have a couple of years of experience, and that's happened in the last two years. Just a couple of years of experience. have never tried a case. I mean, how can you preside over trying a jury trial, and I've had 100 trials, if you've never tried a case? 95% um, of what a Multnomah County Circuit Court judge does is criminal law. And you know that, Jeff, because you're, you, you've studied law at Harvard yourself. So if, if that's the case, and I've had, and I've had 
uh, I've won 50 criminal jury trials. So if you look at that equation, what kind of person do you want on the bench? Um, and then uh, in civil cases as well, you need someone that could be fair to both sides. You don't want anyone that has been uh, primarily uh, an insurance defense lawyer uh, because they have one set of rules that they play by, and that's to protect the pot of money for the insurance companies. Um, so I think you want a people lawyer there, and I think I'm the best candidate and obviously the most experienced. Say more about the decision process of moving from being a practicing lawyer to say, you know what, I want to hang this up and I want to put on a different set of clothes. I don't want to. I don't want to be a player. I want to be a referee. Talk to us about. Did you always think? We talked to one candidate already. He said, you know, that was always. Uh, Kind of what I wanted to do was be a judge. And I went to law school and was a lawyer because I always thought someday I wanted to be a judge. Same with you. You always wanted to be a judge, or at some point you make a change of mind. Well, actually, if we, if we roll the clock back 25 years, uh, people uh, judges on the Multnomah County bench were asking me, hey, why don't, why don't you become a judge? And I said, no, why don't you take my partner, Kenny Walker, uh, he would be a great judge. I'm not ready to be a judge. I still have to represent people. I have to represent my community, the, you know, the city of Portland where I was born and raised. Uh, people in our community, when it comes to people, are underrepresented. Um, it's hard for them to, to look through. You're talking about looking at judicial candidates. It's hard to look through a yellow page book and try to find uh, a really a lawyer that will advocate for you and really care for you be empathetic for you and um, I was hope I, I hope that I brought that to my clients for my 31 years uh, judge Kulin, I mean governor Kulingowski appointed Ken Walker to the bench over almost a decade and a half ago and and still the pressure was on Ernie why don't you become a, a, a judge and I think people say that because they know me, they know how I care for people, and and they expect that one day I'd want to be a judge. Uh, the next the next person I told was my other partner, Yolanda Watkins, who's now a judge out in Clackamas County. I said, hey, why don't you take her? And she was taken. And so I always felt that there would be a hole if, if I become a judge uh, to representing people and interests in, in Portland. And my daughter graduated from law school recently. Uh, I have a law. I have two associates uh, that have the same uh, fire for representing people in our community now. Now I feel comfortable that I can transition into another job, um, and I think that I can be a referee, and I think I can be fair, and I want to try as hard as I possibly can. And so that's the reason why it's the right time for me now. Uh, not because I really wanted to be a judge my entire life, because um, if, if you know me, when I go to trial, and I've had a hundred of them, I do jury trials, because I'm, sure, I'm not so sure about court trials. Um, but that's the, the reason now I think it's a, a good opportunity to do it now, because of my daughter and my two associates that are in my law firm. I think they can carry it on. The work that we do. Hey, where'd you go to high school? Are you are you from here? I don't remember. Or, or did you go to? Did you grow up in Arizona? No, I'm I'm from Portland, Oregon. Born and raised. Uh, I was born at a 
place called Multnomah County Hospital. It's now called Oregon Health Sciences University. I started off at Jefferson High School, and then my dad uh, said, hey, man, we don't have to live here anymore, and he moved to northwest Portland at a place that's Washington County. So I lived in the city of Portland, Washington County. I graduated from a place called Sunset High School. So, but I started from the Democrats to Sunset. All right, all right, I understand. (laughs) Yes, I got no guy. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was. In fact, we had two Bonfilios. One Bonfilio taught at Jeff. The other Bonfilio taught at Sunset. So they made the transition easy for me. We had a we had a Bonfilio has to be related at Grant. Two years ahead of me, maybe just a year ahead. No, excuse me, just a year ahead of me at Grant. Wow, I, I wanna, that's cool. I, I want to ask about your decision-making process. How do you think about bias? Is it something that you purge from your soul, something that you wipe from your brain, something you consider and try to balance biases? How do you think through bias? Well, everyone has a bias of some, of some sort, and you have to make peace with your own bias, and you got to be brutally honest about it. Um, I think that most of the time when you look at biases, so if I had if I had a bias or a prejudice that I couldn't overcome as a judge, I would recuse myself from it because I know myself, you know, and I don't have an ego to say, well, you know, I need to still try to preside over something that I have no business presiding over. Now, I've had the issue of bias come up in jury trials, uh, particularly uh, racially heated biases that could occur because uh, the victim may be of a, of a different uh, ethnicity than than the defendant that I represented, and so and so again, uh, like I told you, I trust the jury. So I go to the jury and I say, hey, you know, we all have biases, and I can admit that I have my own biases. Um, but does anyone here have a bias because of the fact? that the victim is one in the ethnicity and the defendant is one ethnicity. How do you feel about that? Do we have biases in Portland, Oregon today? And most, and most people will say no, you know. And most juror, and to, and to be brutally honest, most jurors are white. Um, in fact, all the jury trials that I had in Multnomah County except for one civil case, all my jurors are white. So then I say, hey, well, what if we go to another courthouse in northeast Portland where the, the jurors are all black and you're my client? Do you think we would have bias? And you wouldn't believe it, Jeff. All the jurors raised their head. And I say, well, well, why is that? And one juror, one juror says, well, because of discrimination and civil rights and, and they think we don't like them and this and that. And, and then I go, I go on through the jurors and try to listen to all of them with similar type of responses. And then I say, in this case, would you please not let that be um, a bias as it would be if we were in Northeast Portland? And they all get it. The light comes on. And uh, they agree to be fair. And I trust them. When you had to vote on who a judge would be. Now, I get it when you were referring coworkers and colleagues and allies and friends to become judges. I have, I might, I have some sense of that. I might ask about that also. But when you were just voting on a judge, now you were in a different position, of course, because you'd know some of these people, either because you practiced near them or at least you'd been to some bar meeting with them. But when you were casting a ballot for a judge, 
How did you end up making that decision? Did you look at endorsements? Did you just listen to word on the street? Did you care primarily about what the Bar Association might have to say about him? What was your decision-making process as a voter for judges? Thanks for asking that question. And 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 a, a light bulb came on in my head about endorsements, and I hope we can come back to that. But anyway, um, you're right. Uh, most of the time, I knew the judges um, and had experience with the people that were running for judges. Ninety, I, almost 99 percent of all judges are are appointed by a governor because the judge is retiring. The judge who's vacating the seat is retiring from that position, uh, and they have a term that's left for the other for the appointee to fill, and then he gets to run. Uh, as the incumbent so many times I've known most of the time I know the judges and I know their backgrounds and and their political affiliations Um, uh, uh, particularly me I research the judges because I want to know who I'm who I'm addressing as an advocate for my client I want to I want to know as much about them as possible I might even talk to some other attorneys that know the judge uh, I might talk to the judge's clerk if I if I have a acquaintance with them, and I really do a deep dive to try to understand who this human being is because I, I sometimes you have to craft your message uh, to resonate with that particular kind of person. So, so I do a deeper dive. Um, uh, it's probably very infrequently that I would not know who the person is. Or, or have done a deeper dive into their background. So I, I know for the, the average voter that wouldn't be true, but that's what I do because, um, you know, this is my trade. How do you think most voters make a decision when they're voting well, for a judge? That's interesting. Let me put, you know, if, if I was to become my mom for about a couple of minutes now, I think she would look at the voter pamphlet she might look at what was said by the League of Women Voters. She reads the news, and then, you know, based on what is said in in the marketplace of ideas, she would probably make a decision. Who's she voting for in this race? <laughs> she moved out of state. Okay, she's not. She didn't want to be put in that position because you don't want to have to decide here. She'd be voting for a son. Okay. <laughs> Is there ever a judge who's really annoyed you do something that you just thought was not just that was contrary to your client's interest, but also just seemed contrary to doing the right thing or that really bothered you? And maybe you did something about it or maybe you just swallowed it up and feel free to name names. Yes. Yes. I've had judges that have annoyed me, but we as lawyers have an ethical duty to have to have a respectful candor towards the tribunal. And so, you know, and so with all due respect, I may disagree and, 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 and thank the judge. And, you know, uh, only one time in a civil matter, a medical negligence case, have, have I had to complain to um, uh, the presiding court about a person. And we won't name names. Uh, uh, this, this person had their own issues uh, but, you know, basically the local rule was very clear on how to handle this particular procedure, and they didn't handle the procedure very well. 
there are certain judges that have have an ego that want to, you know, just be really rude towards people, and I, I I don't see I don't see the utility in that. I'm the kind of person that wants to be respectful and open, uh, because I think if a if a if a client or an attorney is having issues, you know, it's sometimes better just to let the person let the let them air it out a little bit if you have time or if not uh, just take a you know just take a recess and come back to them later when you do have time so you know in that regard i think patience is a better thing and i would rather talk about the the the, the judges in the past that i that i've seen that have used extreme patience like kimberly frankel uh, she's a great role model for judges. I mean, she was a class act. She's the to me, she was the best judge ever in uh, Multnomah County Circuit Court. And so, um, yeah, so they they have bad judges, judges with short fuses that that were appointed by governors ninety nine percent of the time. And frankly, I didn't have, you know, I don't have a lot of, uh, I don't like it, but you still, as a, you have an ethical duty when you're in that courtroom to, uh, to respect them. Once in U.S. District Court, um, I had got a, a, a Cuban immigrant out of custody, uh, pre-trial. And, uh, and the, and the Article Three judge didn't like that. So he called him back in the next day. He's reading my client the riot ad. And I said, but you judge, judge, let me speak. Let me advocate for my client. He said, Warren, if you speak one more time, I'm going to hold you in contempt. So I sat there biting my lip the whole uh, hearing. And then he took my client back into custody. <laughs> and so, you know, again, canter towards the tribunal. I can't disrespect the court. So I step outside the court. And, and, and uh, you know, towards the elevator. And I said, you old rotten son of a bitch. And he on the intercom, he said, "I'm listening." <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that 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 happens. But you know, in professionalism, you have to you have to be respectful. Uh, do, do you think the rules on language in the courtroom are more lenient or more stringent than the Federal Communications Commission rules? They're they're more stringent okay. because of the rules of professional conduct. You know, I mean, you, 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 for example, you said effing. Uh, you know, if you if you if you say that, um, I think uh, you would be disrespecting a court rule. Now, for me, you know, if I was judge, I would say, please don't use that kind of language anymore. You know, some again, some judge would take offense with that, and I and I've had times where where I've had to go in for one of my colleagues where a judge is about to hold them in contempt of court. And talk to the judge and reason with them, and 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 walk the judge and the and the colleague back on being held in contempt of court. So I do think the rules are are more stringent. I think the FCC rules, unfortunately, now are allowing more for profanity type of sexually type of words than in the past. Um, uh, but you know it's 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 strange how they restrain your First Amendment uh, freedoms of, ex- of 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 speech and press um, in the in the guise of being a, a federal communication.
Let's talk a little bit about the campaign. What is your campaign day-to-day looking like? I mean, obviously, you're not knocking on doors. You're presumably not doing any in-person meetings. You're maybe doing Zoom meetings. You're friends of yours or raising some money so you can send a couple mail pieces. What's the campaign look like? Thank you for asking that. You know, we had so many uh, campaign uh, in-face uh, type of gathering set up for, for me to that, that, that have been canceled. Many people were excited about the fact that, that I was running and, um, and had set up all kinds of little socials uh, uh, about four months ago. And we had one set up at the Lucky Labrador um, about uh, 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 um, uh, four weeks ago. That was going to be the first one that we started, and then we even have have ones all this weekend that we were going to have started as well. And we had to cancel, and luckily the person who was sponsoring the Lucky Labrador was kind enough uh, over there on Hawthorne to uh, refund um, uh, his down payment. Um, so it's really affected the way that 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 I have been able to and and as you say, I can't ask for money. So my campaign manager is my daughter, the lawyer, and and one of my relatives. Um, so it's so uh, that's really hampered the the efforts that we've done. I've I've, I've of course have lawn signs out. I have about five hundred people, and and how I just got on Facebook and and LinkedIn. I said, do you want a lawn sign? And 500 people responded, we want lawn signs, and we're very, very happy. I have a, a student from University of Portland who's helping with my campaign, and I pay him to deliver lawn signs to people, and people seem to be very happy about that. You're correct. We have Zoom meetings. Um, we have um, uh, video live chats uh, on Facebook. Um, and... Uh, we, the League of Women Voters had a video chat with me, eight minutes, uh, eight minute chat um, a few days ago. A community group, a Root TV, had a chat with me last night. So just trying to get the word out there and make myself available to people as much as I can, um, and any way that I can. Um, but again, the limitation is like unlike other politicians, can't ask for money. So it's it's very hard uh, to do news media type of advertising and that kind of thing. You don't have a lot of money. We're talking to Ernest Warren as a candidate for Multnomah County Circuit Judge, a lawyer here in town, born and raised in Oregon. Thank you so much for being with us. Is there anything you'd change about the way that judges are selected? Anything you'd change about the appointment process or on the election process? Well, you know, I don't know. I can tell you, I can tell you um, I've been vetted by the Multnomah Bars process and always come out being very qualified. Um, I don't know if I'd change anything. Um I, I, no, I wouldn't change anything. If you are a judge and you see that a lawyer, and this came from a listener from our la in our last interview, I actually think that listener was my dad, as it turns out, <laughs> okay, who was also who was a you know district attorney in Matilda County back in the day, and he asked this question. 
He said, if the uh, if you are presiding at a trial and you see that one of the lawyers is not adequately, not skillfully represent those are two different things I recognize, representing their client. What do you think your job is as the judge, as the referee? Do you say, well, that's just a worse player, and therefore, well, they're going to lose the game, or say, but ultimately what's at stake here is not a game. What's at stake here is justice, and the player is not merely that lawyer, but the lawyer's client. How do you manage that? How do you think through what to do or what you, how you would treat a situation where a lawyer's not doing a good job? Thank you for asking that question. And uh, I don't want to lose this opportunity to say that uh, our current uh, Multnomah County District Attorney, Rod Underhill, just two days ago endorsed me uh, in this race. Good plug. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, I, I know exactly how I would handle that situation. I would, I would ask for a recess um, because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It, you know, we just can't let injustice happen in the courtroom. And, of course, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, Martin Luther King quote. I would ask those uh, both attorneys to step into uh, my chambers, and I would kindly inquire, you know, what's, what's going on? And I try to hear this this lawyer out. And if I couldn't make sense of it that this that this lawyer cannot avoid injustice, I would have to call upon his superior, or if he didn't have a superior, um, then I would have to uh, have a recess, probably talk to the presiding court, and tell him that. Uh, maybe the Oregon State Bar. I am on the board of bar examiners myself, um, and say, hey, you know, we we can't go forward. Uh, we we must avoid injustice in this case. Uh, we just can't go forward. Um, and either we have to have another judge, uh, another attorney, to replace this person, um, uh, or you know, I can't go forward. Uh, and, and minister justice because I have to always do what's right when we're in when we're in the four corners of that room that's called a courtroom I have to do what's right so I can't let it happen we all have strengths and weaknesses I certainly got them what are yours what's a strength that really helps that's probably an easy question but to the extent you're able to be candid what's something that you're bad at that actually impacts either your practice of law or that might impact you being a judge but what I'm then more interested in in is how you manage that weakness right either how you hire around yourself or what you do to build the discipline to address it well yeah and so you know um, I'm I come from uh, graduated high school in 1978 when uh, you know we might have had one computer in the whole school district and that was at school district headquarters so yes i can i can manage pretty well computers but we have very many different uh programs um you know and so i have staff to help me download uh discovery from the cloud uh to interpret encryptions um to uh, add new software to our system um so so technology wise i'm 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 catching up 
and I think uh, technology uh, is a is a weakness. I mean, you know, I had I had my uh, cell phone to my kids and tell and tell them to make it work for me. <laughs> so I think and technology moves very fast, and I think, um, but I'm catching up. I'm catching up. Otherwise, I think I, I have a I have a mastery of the law. I have a mastery of trial skills, and um, I'm people friendly and user friendly. So I I think those are my strengths. What do you watch for in a lawyer that you and in the past it would have been a lawyer that you would have wanted to work with, or a lawyer that you would have been trying a case against on the other side? What do you look for in a lawyer? Now you'll Thank be looking you. at it as a judge. Jeff, thanks for asking that question. Well, 1995, I was one of 50 people that was elected to go to Jerry Spence's trial lawyer college. Uh, so we had the best lawyers in the world on faculty. There was the great civil rights lawyer, Morris Dees. He, he was one of my famous uh, favorites. We had the, the lawyer that uh, tried the case for Rodney King. Uh, the civil case got $3 million for him, Milton Grimes. We had uh, Judy Clark, um, uh, um, who, you know, the Unabomber lawyer, uh, defense attorney. Um, uh, we had Ricky Clayman, the, the woman that owns Court TV. And we had on and on and on and on and on a great faculty of lawyers uh, like that, um, six weeks. Um, so, you know, when you, when, you, when you go to trial lawyer college, uh, they make you do a real deep dive into um, who you are as a human being, and then from there learn how to do things like jury selection, opening statements, uh, direct and cross, closing and rebuttal. Uh, so, so those are the lawyers that I emulated, and those are the and those. I think that uh, Jerry Spence um, is in those line of lawyers that we can. Uh, one of the greatest of all time, uh, you know. Read his book. He, he has several books. Yes, uh, and uh, you know some of the other lawyers. Uh, uh, you know, you got uh, Mo Levine, another great lawyer in history, um, and and let's put Abraham Lincoln in there. Here, this man put his life on the line for justice and became the president of the United States. I mean, a tr and was a trial lawyer. So, um, I look to the trial lawyers, and 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 of course, you ask me who's my favorite Supreme Court justice. Of course, it'd be Thurgood Marshall. Because I knew Thurgood, I know people that Thurgood has represented, uh, people that were thrown in the, in the trunk of police cars and put in concentration camps in the South for civil rights. And we had, a, we had bad enough problems here in Portland as well, because Angela Davis was only down the street in Central California when she uh, went through the horrible thing that she went through. Could you imagine being jailed uh, for political beliefs and then and then a uh, prison guard tries to rape you and you kill them <laughs> you know in Marin County uh, uh, yeah and so I've even had the pleasure of trying trying a uh, civil case uh, with one of the lawyers who represented Angela Davis Howard Moore uh, so um, and got and acquitted her because obviously that was self-defense 
But, you know, we're talking about a different day and time. We're talking about in the early, uh, late uh, 60s, early 70s, you know, Angela Davis is a woman, and she overpowers a prison guard, kills him, who's trying to rape her. Ernest Warren, anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Well, um, I wanted to talk a few things. You asked about endorsements. And, uh, well, you didn't ask about endorsements. But you wanted me to. That's fair. You wanted to plug some of your endorsements. You already said Rod Underhill. I saw that the couple of judges you mentioned that used to be uh, legal legal colleagues of yours have endorsed you. Uh, you also mentioned Ted Kulangoski, who you had advised on some judicial appointments. I noticed him on your list. Anybody else you wanted to plug? Well, we got, we got Richard Baldwin, the former Supreme Court justice. We got Tom Ryan, uh, who's currently on the circuit court bench. Uh, and and we can't and we can't forget that old community um, personality, Dave Dahl, uh, Dave's Killer Bread. I traded text with him literally yesterday. I traded text with him literally yesterday. I was looking at your website, it, it, unrelated to this, but I then looked at your website in preparation for the interview, and I said, "Hey, wait a minute, that's the person you have his name and lights." His that quote is your leading quote on your website. That's correct. That's correct. Oh, Dave, he's something else, isn't he? Ernest Adams, candidate for Multnomah County Circuit Judge. Thank you so much for spending the time. Thank you for having me, Jeff.